First, Happy New Year. Um, that's exciting. If you aren't familiar with the church calendar, the Advent is actually the first celebration of the church calendar. So this is actually in the church calendar, New Year's Day, which is neat. Several, several years ago, the church realized that every country has their own calendar and, uh, and even more importantly, their own holidays. And so uh, uh, that kind of bothered the church. Many of us, myself included, are still full from one of my favorite holidays, which, uh, you know, Thanksgiving. Um, and it's interesting to think that, uh, that Thanksgiving, when it's such a biblical concept, we'll wait for Brad to print the, it should, if you pull it hard enough, I think it'll come on. Is it stuck? I mean, it doesn't have a separate switch. There we go. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to remember that Thanksgiving, being such a biblical concept, is not actually... <laughs> this is way more fun than, than me. There we go. I reset the thermostat. Yeah, big clap. I reset the thermostats, but it just doesn't seem to be taking. I got to try again. Um, it can be it can be easy for us to forget that the most of the world, ninety percent of Christians on the globe, don't celebrate Thanksgiving um, because it's an American holiday. It's celebrating an American uh, 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 moment in the past. If uh, if we were German, we would um, celebrate. Erntdenkenfest in early October. It's their traditional day to give thanks. And if, uh, and even though it's, it's not the huge family ordeal that, that we celebrate here in the U.S., if we were in Germany celebrating Erntdenkenfest, it would be easy to forget that not all Christians do that, that some Christians don't celebrate that. So a long, long time ago, the church leaders decided the church needed its own calendar, a calendar to follow so that no matter where you are in the globe, when you're celebrating a holiday, all Christians everywhere are celebrating that holiday with you. And so the calendar is basically a way of, it used to be called the Missal or the, the Common Liturgy, basically gives churches this calendar they can follow so that you're on sync with all of the other calendars or all the other churches everywhere. And during that, what we call the High Holidays, Advent and Lent, as a church, we sync up with the same scriptures that everybody who's following the Common Liturgy is, is doing. So it's kind of neat to know that Whatever passage we're studying during the high holidays, there's literally billions of Christians around the globe studying that same passage with us, which is kind of fun. And uh, I can seem a little restrictive to some people that you have to preach this one passage for a day, but it's really neat to think that we're, we're uh, studying along with the rest of the body of Christ everywhere. Um, so here at the open table, we kind of loosely follow the church calendar. We study the two high holidays, and then uh, during the rest of the year, we tend to kind of talk about whatever we want. But it can be weird for some people because we don't typically dig in as a church to the American holidays. Um, Lena, last year during uh, on Mother's Day, came to church, and afterwards, she's like all tears and crying. And I went back to comfort her, and she was like, I came for my traditional Mothers Are Awesome sermon, and this is what I get. Like, because we don't, we don't typically dig into the... the uh, the American holidays so much because we want to celebrate with holidays that the entire church, no matter where they are on the planet. Um, I definitely think we should celebrate the American holidays, Independence Day, Memorial Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day, 
All these are amazing, but when we're at church, we like to celebrate with the rest of the church all over the globe. Because believe it or not, the kingdom of God is bigger than America. So, um, if you're new to the church calendar, Advent is the very first celebration of the church calendar year. So, Happy New Year. Um, and, uh, and if you're a little new to Advent itself, celebrating Advent, maybe the simplest way to differentiate between Advent and Christmas is that Christmas is a thing that happened. Advent is a thing that happens. Christmas is a thing that happened. Advent is a thing that happens. Christmas celebrates, much like a birthday, a set moment in history. And on December 25th, we celebrate that as a church today, a set moment in history. But the word Advent means arrival. And the original Christmas certainly was an Advent of Jesus, but most of us need an Advent today. Most of us need Jesus to arrive in our story right now. Our world in 2020 needs an advent of Jesus, needs the arrival of Jesus more than ever. So Advent is a season where we prepare our hearts for an advent of Jesus. We wrestle with the question, if Jesus were to come crashing into our story today, is my heart ready? Have I prepared my heart for the coming of Jesus? Am I in a place where if Jesus showed up, I would be ready? So the... uh, so even though um, Advent is this day that we typically celebrate one moment in history, or Christmas is Advent, that we celebrate all the times that Jesus arrives in our life. And the church calendar, what I love about it is it kind of got, because most of us feel like we should be ready for an Advent of Jesus at all times. Like the Christian life is always up and to the right. You move from one spiritual mountaintop to the next, and it's just always amazing. But none of us live that way. The church calendar kind of anticipates the cyclical nature of life. During Lent, we repent of our sins, and believe it or not, next year Lent comes around and you have more sins to repent of, and, it, and, and we refocus again. And, and in Advent, we celebrate the coming of Jesus, and then, believe it or not, a year later, you really need Jesus to come into your story again. And so it gives us this kind of chance to cycle back around to these things. So to me, Advent's a season of preparation. We spend a month preparing our hearts for the presence of Jesus to come crashing into our story in a new and powerful way, to heal us, confront us, challenge us, send us, walk with us. And so every year during this season, I do have something for the kids here in a second, so hang with me. Every year during the season, uh, we go to the lectionary. And the lectionary gives you an Old Testament reading, a Psalms reading, a Gospel reading, and a, and a reading from the epistles or the letters. And this year, the Psalms just, just grabbed me. And here's why. One of the challenges of teaching and kind of interpreting Scripture is context. You're always consumed with context. Mainly it starts with who wrote it, who are they writing to, and why. Who wrote it, who are they writing to, and why. It's really important to understanding what the Scripture is saying. In the epistles and the letters, it's pretty easy. The writer usually gives his name somewhere in the letter, and he usually talks about what he wants to talk about. In the Gospels, it's a little trickier, but we still know basically who wrote it and and that he wrote it to to explain the life of Jesus to people who didn't get to see him personally. In the Old Testament, it's usually some court recorder or, or uh, someone like that who's recording the history of the church leader uh, or the country leader. And it can get a little trickier. In the prophets, it's usually a one man speaking for God to a nation. we got to look at what's going on in that nation so we know what, why he's saying what he's saying. But as I consider the Psalms, I tried to figure out this funny question of why. Why the Psalms? What, who, who are they being written to? Who are they being written for? Why are they writing them? 
I mean, 1 Corinthians, we know Paul was writing because he had some stuff going on in the church he didn't like. And so everything in the book is a little bit confrontational, and it makes the book make sense because we know who he's writing to and why. The Psalms are different. Why write Psalms 23? What's the purpose? Certainly not so that every funeral for 3,000 years could quote it. Certainly there was a deeper meaning than that. And after spending some time on them uh, over the last couple of weeks, I decided the Psalms are, are art. They're creativity. This is, this is songs and poems and prayers that people slaved over. If you study the mechanics of Jewish poetry a little bit, you know that this is not haphazard or random. This is people really digging in to, to express themselves to God in a creative way. This represents the creativity and the art that came exploding out of someone because of their relationship with God, which led me to think about creativity as a thing. We've titled this series, Created to Create. And in order for me to truly talk about creativity, I'm going to need some help. Kids, who wants to help me? It might take a little bit of bravery, but I need as many kids as will to come up on stage with me. Whoever's brave enough. Actually, I'm the one being brave. But Everyone who will come, I need you to grab some stuff. I have paper. I have colored pencils. I have markers. I have crayons. And I need you to make me some art. You can spread out on the floor here. You can sit in front of the stage if you want. Grab some paper. If you guys, if coloring's not your thing, you can make me a paper airplane. That would be cool if that's your thing. You guys love those? Grab the colors you want. Grab the, careful of the instruments. I'm being brave. I'm being brave. I'm being brave. And we've only got a set amount of time, so I need you guys to grab what you're going to need and make me something cool. Okay? Make me some art. Okay, I know what you're going to draw. Yep. I have no idea. You don't know how to draw? You want some crayons? You want to just color pictures? All right. You can grab more if you want. Okay, wherever you want to settle. Oh, man, I got people working on airplanes already. This could get exciting. Move over here a little. Okay. You guys took my spot. I'll be over here. Don't worry about me. Okay, so you guys make me something awesome. Okay, here we go. The very first way we know God in Scripture is as a creator. If uh, before we know him as father or judge or lawgiver or healer or friend or savior, we know him as creator. If, if, if the Bible is God's story to us, his revelation of himself to us, the very first way he reveals himself is in the beginning God created. Before we know him in any other capacity, we know him as being creative, as a creator. He gives himself this. And then not very long into the story, he says that he made us to be like him in his image and likeness. It can be argued that the one thing that separates us most from the animal kingdom is our creativity. We're the only creature that takes a perfectly functional wall and paints it a different color because the last color was so out of date. Like, no other creature does that. Something about our love for beauty and our love for the aesthetics of things sets us apart 
from other creatures. Something that makes us most godlike is that we have this capacity for creativity. So I think one of the ways we best reflect the nature of God is when we create, by creating. So while we read today's scriptures, I'm going to just have the kids create. Okay? Let's look at today's lectionary passage. This comes from Psalms 80, and it reads like this. For the choir director, a psalm of Asaph, to be sung to the tune, Lilies of the Covenant. Please listen, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph's descendants like a flock, O God, enthroned above the cherubim. Display your radiant glory to Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Show us your mighty power. Come and rescue us. Turn us again to yourself, O God. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. O Lord God of heaven's armies, how long will you be angry with our prayers? You have fed us with sorrows and made us to drink tears by the bucketful. You have made us the scorn of our neighboring nations. Our enemies treat us like a joke. Turn us again to yourself, O God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. Strengthen the man you love, the son of your choice. Then he will never ab- we will never abandon you again. Revive us so we can call on your name once more. Turn us again to yourself, O Lord, O God of heaven. O Lord God of heaven's armies, make your face to shine down upon us. Only then will you be saved. How you doing, buddy? You want to color? Okay. Here, let me get your paper. You want some paper? You want crayons or colored marker? Or which one do you want? Those are these. Little column A, little column B. All right. So along with being scripture, this is someone's art. This is someone's creativity. This was the product of someone's heart, which I absolutely love. I love that 3,000 years ago, people had a relationship with God that, and that relationship inspired them to write music and poetry and architecture and hopefully all kinds of other art forms. In today's passage, the song has this repeating refrain that happens three times. So it would be a lot like our songs. It's, it's verses and a chorus. And you write, uh, and so you, you write the real context in the verses with this really nice hook in the chorus, like any good country song has. That's pretty good. So in Psalms 80, the the chorus is short and sweet, and it goes like this. Turn us again to yourself, O God. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then shall we be saved. This exact refrain happens three times in the psalm, and it repeats itself. So it kind of breaks the psalm up nice and clean into verses with these choruses in between. This line's repeated over and over again. So uh, what's interesting, though, is how distinctive the verses in between these choruses are. Listen, verse 1 would read like this. Listen, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph's descendants like a flock, O God enthroned above the cherubim, display your radiant glory to Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Show us your mighty power. Come to rescue us. What you got? What'd you make? Leo, what'd you make? A snowman. That is perfect. Does it fly? Show me. Oh, that is a good one. Right on. Right on. Okay, can you add more stuff on him? Do you think he needs a think he needs a hat? Yep. All right, he needs a hat. So, in the, if this were a modern song, 
this, we would sing this on Sunday morning, right? This fits. This is exactly what we would expect. We're singing about God's mighty glory or his radiant glory and his mighty power and his call for salvation. This is something we're totally accustomed to. Show me. What we got? Okay, okay. Does it fly though? Nice. Got a little spiral to it. You can go get it. You can throw it better next time. Does yours fly? Has the little wings. Yep. I think the wings need to be bigger. That's awesome though. I wasn't scared. Paper airplanes and fire. That's exactly what what could go wrong. And then after this verse that we're very, very familiar with about the glory of God and the power of God and the salvation of God comes this chorus. Turn us again to yourself, O God. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. Which leads us to verse 2, which is a little different. O Lord of heaven's armies, how long will you be angry with our prayers? You fed us with sorrow and made us drink tears by the bucketful. You have made us the scorn of neighboring nations. Our enemies treat us as a joke. Now, really honestly, can you imagine coming to church on a Sunday morning? You're, you're comfortable. You've gotten to see your people. You're smiling. You've got coffee in your hand, which makes everything better. And you come in, and this is what the worship team sings to you. You're just ready to sing and worship God, and you get this. And I love this about the Psalms, that they're so honest. Because every single one of us has hit this point sometime in 2020. Every single one of us is, has felt this, but we're not allowed to say it because we're supposed to have faith, right? The psalmist isn't buying that for a second. The psalmist seems to recognize that if God is a father and I am a child, I'm allowed to throw a fit every once in a while, right? Kids, real quick, eyes this way. How many of you guys ever throw like a real fit, like a real temper tantrum? Be honest with me. Like, it's not fair. Anybody ever do that? Some of, you guys are, so some of you guys are honest, some of you aren't, yeah. Okay, the real question, though, and this is the real question I want an answer to. How many of you guys' parents sometimes throw a real fit? No, 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 don't answer. They're watching. Come and tell me afterwards. I want to know after we're done. We all do this, and I love that the Psalms are real enough to own it. And after this kind of painfully honest second verse, We've got another chorus. Turn yourself again. Turn us again to yourself, O God. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. And then we roll into verse 3. Strengthen the man you love, the son of your choice. Then we will never abandon you again. Revive us, and we will call upon your name once more. And we're back to the type of lyrics we're used to. Revive us. How many times have we sung about revival? God, come and give us revival. This is a song we would sing. But what really jumped out at me in today's passage, what I love so much about this falling on a family service, because it makes me seem like I plan things out way better than I actually do. The word that really grabbed me is this word, son. The son of your choice. Strengthen the man you love. The son of your choice. Because in the Hebrew, this word is ben. Ben. It's a completely ordinary verse. It happens like 5,000 times in Scripture. It just means son or son of. We use it in names like Ben-Hadad, Ben-Judah, even Benjamin, which means son of night or son of my old age, Benjamin. And this word Ben is always translated son. But it turns out that it's actually a literary generalization. Much like when I taught, when I learned to write, you use the word he, both to mean that specific male person, but also the generic, what we call neuter gender. When you were just writing generically, he could mean now, we've kind of changed that recently, but when I learned, you learned it as a generalization. 
which is, oh, that was kind of loop-de-loop-de. That was fun. But in the Hebrew, Ben not only means my direct son, but it specifically means all offspring. Sometimes it's translated son or daughter. A few times it's even translated nation. It's translated, oh, I love it. Those are beautiful colors. It's what? It's, oh, it's Godzilla? That's amazing. Oh. oh. Ask for ice cream on the way home. I think you'll get it. Awesome. So this word son is much bigger than just my specific son. It's, it can be translated as son, grandson, daughter, granddaughter, offspring, offspring's offspring. It goes on forever and ever. So in verse 3 of this song, ask God to strengthen the man you love, the offspring or the child of your choice. I think from our perspective, it has this beautiful kind of messianic picture that we dig into during Advent. But I think it also says something much bigger. When we look back at the trajectory of this song, we see this amazing cry to the glory and mighty power of God. Hey, guys. Let's do it quietly a little bit. Awesome. Oh, we got palm trees over here. That's, a, that's an awesome. Right in the middle of November, I need palm trees. We have this first verse that calls out to the glory and power of God. We have this second verse that, about how broken everything is. And the world is not what it should be. And everything is falling apart. And why is everything so terrible? And then we wrap up in the third verse with saying, God, strengthen my offspring, the child of your choice. It's a song about these guys. It's God. Everything in this world is falling apart. Please strengthen the man you love, the offspring of your choice. We talk all the time about how this right here on this stage is our best chance of affecting the future. We pour into our kids. We pray that God would strengthen our children. And it's not just because we want them to have an awesome life or because, what'd you make? I love it. It's not just because we want them to know God and get into heaven. We obviously want those things. But one of the reasons we want God to strengthen our kids is because the world desperately needs them. Our world desperately needs these guys to know God and to carry the light and love of Jesus to the world. Not to put a too fine a point on it, but until Jesus comes back, this is our best hope. This is our only hope. Which makes this fit so well. Because this is Hope Week. This is the week of Advent where we dig in, we light the hope candle, and we dig into this theme of hope. And what does it mean to hope for Jesus? Yeah, let's not throw at the fire. Okay. How do we ask Jesus to ignite hope in our world? And here's the thing. The reason I love diving into Hope Week with kids on the stage with me is because hope is completely childish. How many of your kids have already asked for something outrageous for Christmas? Like just ridiculous. Yeah. And they're like, I want a pony. And you're like, I hope you mean my little pony because that's about all we can afford in this house. 
But kids hope so easy, don't they? It's so easy for them. Okay, Shh, guys, let's bring it down just a little. Kids wake up in the morning expecting the day to be amazing. How many of you have done that? Just woke up in the morning and be like, today is going to rock. Yeah, kids raising their hands. We don't do that. We're too mature for hope. We've seen too much. We know how far hoping gets you. So we let the kids hope. And we might throw a vague prayer toward hope every once in a while. But for the most part, we feel like things are just going to get worse and worse. And they're just going to fall apart more and more. And things are just going to grow more ungodly and keep falling apart. Because we know better than to hope. Matthew's Gospel records this exchange in chapter 19. It says, One day some parents brought their kids to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them before he left. Incidentally, this is why we bless our kids at open table. In fact, quick heart check for everybody sitting out there. As we've been kind of interrupted and distracted by the kids, ask yourself, what side of the conversation would you have been on that day? Would you have been with the parents and Jesus excited that the kids are feeling life and having fun and being blessed? Or would you have been Perfect timing. Thank you so much. It really is. Or would you have been with the disciples saying, I wish we could get on with the grown-up stuff? I'll let you chew on that at home. But here's what I would love you to see in this passage. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. So let me say to you this morning, hope is absolutely childish. So go hope. You are too mature and worldly wise for wishful thinking, which is exactly why you need to do it. Jesus made it very clear that the life of faith is upside down. If you want to do it right, learn from these guys. The kingdom of heaven belongs to people who act like these guys. So how do we respond to this? Okay, kiddos, you did amazing. Why don't you show me what you did real quick, and then you can go find your parents. I love that. I love that. I want that. Can I have it? Oh, you're amazing. Thank you. I'm going to keep that. Come here, cross, flowers. Oh, oh. Okay, you got, oh, that's a, that's a great one. Oh, I love the heart. Okay, guys, you can go sit with your mom and dad. You did awesome. Show me, Jacob. Will it fly? Or are you just giving it to me to have? What's that? It's a test? Okay. You guys did amazing. Thank you so much. Guys, give him a hand. Good job. I love it. Oh. Okay. Show me. Come on, just one big throw. Oh! <laughs> yep, yep. 
Go get it. <laughs> Apologize while you're there. Okay. All right, kids, I need a couple more minutes. How do we respond to this? We've titled this series, Created to Recreate. And we mean that in two different ways. The first and most obvious is that we're looking at creativity and some men who lived a long time ago who responded to God's love and life with creativity, with lyric and verse and melody. Okay. But the second way I want to think about creating is in respect to how these four themes of Advent actually happen. Because we can all gather in the presence of God and we can do everything we, we can to bolster our own hope. We can learn from kids on how to hope for good things. And when our adult mind tries to get in the way, we can, we can take their example. But I believe we were made for more than just hoping. I believe we were made to create hope. I believe we were created to create I believe we're supposed to do more than just hope. We're supposed to create hope. We are called to be a blessing to others and help them to find hope. We're called to make the world a place that's worth hoping in, a place where hope doesn't seem so ridiculous. We're called to live our lives with Jesus so fully and honestly that people are actually drawn to hope that maybe things could be different. Maybe there's something worth living for. So the way that I would love to respond to this message is by doing what every great artist does. See it and then create it. I've heard great sculptors who say they could see, see the finished product in the marble and they felt like it was their job to release it, to find a way to release the art from the medium. I, I used to love listening to Yanni. Anybody here remember Yanni? Am I the only one? Yeah, all right. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, Yanni. I used to love Yanni, and my wife actually bought me tickets, went to Yanni one time, and I learned at the concert that Yanni does not read music. He doesn't read or write any music. While he was complimenting his orchestra, he said, I hear music in my head, and what makes these people amazing is they can pull what's in my head out so that you can hear it too. He was like, I, I can hear it before I play it. And my goal is to try to get it out of there. I think every great artist can see their art before they make it, before they create it. I think we need to respond the same way. We need to see a world that inspires hope. And then we need to go create it. We were created by a creator who made us like him. We're created to create so if you think a world where people help their neighbor pick up their trash after a stray dog scatters it everywhere is a world that inspires hope, then go create that world. Find someone to help. If you think a tired single mom would feel more hope if she could have a day off or a nap, go offer to watch her kids. Create a world that's worth hoping in. My sink broke a couple weeks ago. Weeks ago, My schedule was swamped. So I jerry-rigged a little hose up so that you could at least rinse dishes. And, and it blew out way too powerful. Every single person in the house had been drenched by this hose at least once the day that I jerry-rigged it up. 
And before I even got a chance to schedule a minute to fix it, Graham and Reg are under my sink changing my, changing my faucet. I was so embarrassed I haven't talked to Graham since. But, <laughs> but my first thought once the embarrassment wore out was that's a world I can hope in. We're doing something right when people are caring for each other. Graham helped create a hope. 28 years ago, Esther and I sat at a table full of crazy, radical Jesus followers, and we hoped. We dreamed. We thought about the future, what we wanted to make. And a couple weeks ago, we're sitting at our table, and our table's packed, and there's people everywhere. And, and we sat there remembering that time, hoping that all these other people are now hoping. Hoping that they're dreaming, just like we gather around a giant table like this. We're, we now have other people gather around this giant table, and we're hoping that they're hoping about the future and the world they want to create. The reality is most of the problems our world is facing, our kids have the solution. And it's not winning. It's creating a world where someone else doesn't have to lose for you to be happy. It's a world that's worth hoping in. Hope big and then create that world. If you hope for a world where racism's not a thing, do what your kids would do. Find someone of another race and go play with them. That's how racism breaks down. You spend time with people. Your kids do it automatically. If you're hoping for a world that's less divided by politics, do what your kids would do. Find somebody with different views and go hang out and don't talk about politics. That's what your kids would do. They would go play and they would never even bother with what that person's politics are. If you hope for a world where people aren't alone and divided by a virus, do what your kids would do. Play video games all day until you forget about people. No, I'm kidding. Sit down and hand make a card for somebody. Or send a text or make a call. Anybody remember talking on the phone for hours back in the day? Yeah, when, and you were attached to the wall. Like in, and you still just talked for hours and hours. It's like we knew instinctively at that age that alone is a bad thing. And so we didn't want to be alone. And so we talked on the phone. I remember when I was a kid, I would ask my dad, hey, can Scott stay tonight? He goes, yeah. And then the next week, and hey, can Mike stay tonight? My dad would be like, yeah, somebody stay tonight last week. And I remember being like, and? Like, why wouldn't I want someone every weekend? That doesn't, you say that like I should want to be alone. Like, when we're kids, we know alone is a bad thing. So be like your kids. Don't let alone happen. Reach out to somebody. Call somebody. Text somebody. Our kids know how to do this. It comes naturally to them. Our kids know how to hope. We need to learn from them. So go hope big and create that same hope in the world. Let's go to the table.